You've read or heard or preached the scripture this week. Now what? Join me, Pastor Carissa, and my colleague, Pastor Alan, as we explore the spaces between the Sundays in our podcast, Soft Idolatry. Welcome to Soft Idolatry, Season 5, Episode 1. In this season, we are going to talk about big words. Carissa, how are you doing? Got any big words for me? Big words. Um, wow, you really put me on the spot there. All the big words I can think of are theological. I can't think of any for how I'm I'm doing just now. Um, but I'm doing all right. It's sunny out. It's beautiful here in Western PA. I don't know what Jersey's like today, but... Um... Uh, Jer- Jersey is in transition toward beautiful. I can see gray skies out my window, but I know it's going to be in the mid-60s today, and tomorrow it's going to be 83, so... We're supposed to get that 80-something today, and I am so excited about that. I know not everybody loves heat, but um, I suffer from Raynaud syndrome, which means my hands and feet get painfully, painfully cold. So summer is a wonderful time of year for me. <laughs> I just love it. Yeah. But we do have a lot of big words to talk about this next season. Uh, we do not have a end date for this season yet because we keep uh, hearing more words. We reached out to some of our friends and listeners and we have quite the list, Alan. A um, lot of big words people want to talk about more. Oh, yeah? We've got uh, words like kenosis, soterology, atonement, um, ecclesiology. Who wants to talk about that? Uh, we do, apparently. Okay. <laughs> We've got people to learn about some of these things. We've got hermeneutics and ecumenical election, superlapsarian, infralapsarian. Some of these are big words that uh, maybe people aren't going to need to use in their day-to-day life, but they're really big concepts and important theological foundations too, though, that it's important for us to have a handle on. Okay, so which uh, which big theological word are we going to deal with today? Are you ready for this? It's a, it's a big word, and I'm going to try to pronounce it correctly. I have it written down in front of me. Um, love. Wait, what? Love? It's the biggest word in the Bible. No, that, it, it's, I mean, even in Hebrew, it can't have more than three letters, right? <laughs> um, I think it, well, it depends on if you're counting the vowel points or not. <laughs> um, wow, that was, that was like the nerdiest joke ever. And we both just laughed at it. And probably nobody right now laughed at that. Maybe two of you did. I'm really sorry if you're as bad as we are and you laughed at that joke. No, but um, by biggest, I don't necessarily mean the longest or the most uh, complicated word to pronounce or say, but it's probably the hardest to define, but also the most important. And perhaps also the hardest to do. Yeah. Yeah. Love is not just a mushy feeling. No. First of all, um, Scripture is... um, (laughs) Oh, we can start with defining Scripture. No, no. Uh, Scripture is... The Bible is an account of God's interaction with humanity in certain historical periods of time. And it, the Bible, details the love that God expresses for humanity in those periods of time. It's, it's a love story between God and humanity. Yes, absolutely. And 
I think the place that we have to start is with the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament. And we have to start there not only because that's the beginning of this story, but because what we understand as love is first expressed in those scriptures. And the thing that we often miss when we hear the word love in English is that love in Hebrew is an active verb. It is not some fuzzy notion some touchy-feely sensibility about my opinion of someone else. For instance, I love my mother. I do love my mother, but that phrase doesn't tell you anything about how I express that love. And in fact, I can say I love my mother, and it doesn't imply that I will act in that love. Uh, I love pizza. Doesn't mean I'm going to go have pizza for lunch. My doctor would probably be against that. Way too many carbs. Um, I love the Pittsburgh Steelers, but this is April. Football season is a long way off. That's just an abstract statement of identity. But the Hebrew scriptures are completely different. You cannot love someone without acting on that love. To love specifies to act. Yeah. And um, even when we're talking about it as a verb, as an action, if we move on into the Greek, we have several different kinds of love. You've got brotherly love. You have unconditional love. You have romantic love. And so in Greek, it goes even farther to um, those into you know, the love that a friend has for another friend or the love that um, spouses have for one another or the love that, um, you know, a parent has for a child or, or God has for us, that love that comes without any um, um, conditions, right? So it, it's way more complicated than the English language would like to make it. And I think maybe that's part of our problem as Westerners defining love is that our language doesn't necessarily lend itself toward understanding it in these these ways that we see it played out in the Bible. Correct. And, you know, so it, it love your neighbor gets transformed in English to have happy, pleasant thoughts about your neighbor. Think of your neighbor as a nice guy. Yeah, I haven't finished writing my sermon for this week yet, but the very first line of it is, some people are really hard to love. <laughs> and I'll bet that everyone who just heard me say that, somebody came to mind for you, didn't they? Somebody came to mind for you, didn't they, Alan? You don't have to tell Without us who. Doubt. You don't have to tell oh, us who. Please good, don't. Good Lord, no. As, as a pastor, no. I have to keep my it's mouth shut on that. Yeah, it's a dangerous thing to admit. But there are people that are really, really hard to love. But we're still called to love them. Um, it's not an easy concept just because it's a small word. No. It, in fact, it is, it is perhaps among the most difficult words to explain because we are loved by God, we are called to act 
in that love. And sometimes we just don't want to do it. Well, yeah, I don't know about you, but I personally, I'm kind of lazy and I don't, I don't like doing hard stuff, like loving the people who are hard to love. Um, yeah. So this is it. like, it's totally human nature that we don't always want to do this. No, uh, calling us to act in love, to act with God's love might also include a call for us to change. And none of us wants to do that. No, no, not even, uh, dear listeners, not even your pastor or pastors who keep telling you the church needs to change. We don't like to change either. And if you don't believe me, try sitting in someone else's pew. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, I won't even start with that. Well, I did, you know, that's part of what's been so difficult in this past year, right? Sorry to bring up the pandemic again, but it's still a thing that's still happening. And one of the hardest parts about it is figuring out how to love one another during this time and do that in the midst of extreme change. Nothing is the same. Well, not nothing, but a lot of things are very different. And uh, we're trying to figure out how to love people by, um, you know, getting our vaccinations. Um, that's a loving thing to do, but it hurts. And you'll probably be sick for a day after you get it. But that's the loving thing to do. Uh, wearing a mask when you're in public is the loving thing to do, even though it's uncomfortable and weird and we just don't do that generally. Um, but, you know, also how do we balance um, supporting local businesses without, you know, but also not being out and about more than we have to and those kind of things. So love isn't always an, even an easy thing to figure out what is that thing we need to do that is loving. Sometimes it's more obvious and sometimes it's not. Right. And, and then sometimes, too, if it calls us to change, uh, we will try to define it more narrowly, or we will play games like, okay, love your neighbor, but I'm going to redefine who my neighbor is so that I don't have to love that person that I don't like, or who doesn't look like me. Yeah, or, or who maybe isn't a Christian. Oh, it just means Christian neighbor, right? Like... <laughs> But no, no, that's not what it means. Yeah. Um, <laughs> nope. If only there were a Bible story that would show us that Jesus means everyone is our neighbor. If only we could find that. It's like the entire Gospel of Luke, isn't it? Pretty much, yes. Pretty much true. Which we're not in right now. We're in, in John. Um, and we're actually, we're not ditching the lectionary this season. We've generally been pretty lectionary focused um, just because that's how we as preachers operate. But... Um, these big words, you know, one of the things that is, is helpful in talking about these concepts and ideas is it helps to open up some of these scripture passages for us. So right now the lectionary is in the epistle of first John, the first letter of John, probably not written by John, the disciple, um, more likely written by some of his followers or students, um, or people who just really liked him an awful lot and liked his message. Uh, which was pretty common at the time. It doesn't take away any of the weight or importance of the path, the um, books, though. Not to say, First John is really about love. The whole book. It is correct. It's about the practice of love. It is about how love informs and structures Christian community. 
and how it holds us together and how it sets us apart, not from the world, but sets us apart for the mission of redeeming the world. Yes. Yeah. So that's that's why we've we've chosen to start here. Because lets up, as Alan said, our, our participation in God's mission. It sets up who we are called to be as a community. Um, and it's it's really hard work. It's hard enough work that, you know, John wrote a bunch of letters about it. And um, uh, last week I talked about even the idea of sacrificial love is not necessarily um, narrowly defined, right? Um, it might mean giving up your life for someone literally, but it also might mean making hard little everyday choices. Like um, when you're out shopping, maybe you see, you know, an article of clothing you really like and you realize it's made by a horrifically unethical <laughs> maker, right? And you might need to put that back and, and reconsider purchasing that thing or think about the sustainability of the stuff you're buying or um, those sorts of things can be loving, sacrificial acts. So it really does seep into every corner of our, our being and our doing. In theory. Should creep into. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Should creep into every corner of our living and our being and our doing. Yes, it, it has to inform the decisions that we make. And I, I think this is part of the beauty of Christian community when it works at its best is it can be a mirror for our behavior. We go on autopilot so much of the time. We do so much without thinking. And there's a good reason for that. If we had to reason through every single choice and decision we make from minute to minute, hour to hour, day to day, it would be overwhelming. We have to use some shorthand now and now and again. Um, if you want a really good visual for this, think of a person who had a stroke and has recovered from the stroke, but has some mobility issues. That person might have to think about every step she takes as she walks across a room or walks up and down a flight of stairs. That is a tremendous effort. That person moves incredibly slowly because she is literally thinking about every step she takes, where anybody under the age of 40 will go up and down a flight of stairs without thinking about a single step. Uh, unless it's Carissa's front staircase, which you really want to be watching as you are going down those stairs. Well, I was also going to speak out of experience, unless it's the day after you ran a marathon. <laughs> you might but, also be really thinking about each and every step. <laughs> though, though I think that's more like you're feeling every step and you're thinking yes. about how much it hurts. Yes, it's like loving the person you don't like. <laughs> <laughs> I know I can get up these stairs. I know I have to get up these stairs, but gosh, does it feel uncomfortable? <laughs> <laughs> So if, if we go back to that example, thinking about every single decision is um, really exhausting. However, when we are in Christian community together, practicing love for one another, we have this opportunity 
to learn about the places where we need to think a little bit more, where we can look at our decisions and our actions and see which are informed by love and which are just going on autopilot. There's a, um, a lot of, of scriptural um, comparison to the spiritual life um, and growing up as a child. You know, similar to the person who's had a stroke and is trying to regain mobility, um, a little child learning to walk falls over a lot and they only take a few steps at first and they might need to hold somebody else's hand. And what a picture that is as well of, of Christian community. And the older we get, the better we get at it. And it's through the help of others around us. And, you know, that's true of learning how to live this life. And I, I think that that's one of the, the reasons that we wanted to do this particular series too. Um, partly just because we want to show off how smart we are and how many big words we know. But uh, mostly because it is an important thing to continue learning how to grow more and more. If you stay crawling or you stay toddling, holding on to furniture, you're never going to get very far when it comes to spiritual growth. And so we're not so much worried about your vocabulary necessarily or the specific words, but these are big, important theological concepts that help to open up scripture and and inform our practice of love. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Love informs our understanding of scripture and our understanding of scripture informs our practice of love. So these are, are um, intimately intertwined with one another. They are. And, and it's interesting that that you went to those images of uh, a childlike faith, because in some ways a childlike faith is great, but it has to just be a building block. And, you know, certainly the Apostle Paul, you know, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, et cetera, et cetera. But we also get that language here in the the first letter of John, um, where specifically the the speaker, you know, addresses the probably the congregation that he's writing to, uh, you know, addresses them as sort of theological children, and of course you have Jesus saying to the disciples, I, "Little children, I am with you, but a little while longer." Yeah, and I think that there are elements of childlike faith that even as we grow and learn and mature, there are elements that we can hold on to. One of our one of my favorite seminary professors, and if anyone out there knows who I'm talking about, you're welcome to tell him I said so. Um, but he we used to call it the bug-eyed wonder. Um, you go out, you, you know, you just you, you go outside and you see the beauty of God's creation and, you know, just kind of like, holy cow, that is God is huge and amazing. And that that I think is the piece of childlike faith to hold on to. Don't let go of the mystery. Don't let go of the wonder. Hold on to that. But you can hold on to that and still grow. Childlike faith doesn't mean simple or basic. No, and in childlike faith doesn't mean you accept everything at face value. I mean, 
I've never raised a child, but I understand that they ask lots and lots of questions. Too so many questions. Too many questions? Depends on the age, but yes, generally speaking. <laughs> and we also have to ask too many questions. We have to be actively engaged in learning our faith. Part of loving God is learning scripture and asking questions of it. It is the active study of the word as it is written and also of the word made flesh. And that's word with a capital W. If you think you have it all figured out and you have no questions left about your faith, oh, my dear, sweet sibling in Christ, you are in for a shock one day. Um, none of us have it figured out. This is the old, you know, the old inverse problem. Like when you're in, in high school, you think you know everything. And when you're in college, that gets shaken a little bit. And then you move on to graduate studies and you realize you don't know much at all. And then you become a doctoral student. And you realize you're a complete idiot and you have no idea what anything means anymore. <laughs> uh, that's part of our faith walk as well. <laughs> the more you learn, the more you learn you don't know. Yeah, that that is, I, I think one of the the great things about the um, the Master of Divinity program that we went through is, if you had any certainty about what is in the Bible, what is in the text of the Bible when you walked into that program, you got it beaten out of you. I took um, Gospels class with Dale Allison. And he, I'll never forget, he walked into class on the, the first day of that class and um, said, you know, this is, um, pretend this chalkboard is like everything there is to know, everything that God has to reveal. And he draws this tiny little circle in the very bottom corner. He goes, this is how much you might learn. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was in that yeah. class. Well, okay then. <laughs> if that doesn't humble you a bit, nothing will. Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> and it wasn't in a condescending, like, you're idiots way. It was in a, this universe is huge, and God is phenomenally big. Yes. And, and even if we are just talking about Scripture, the physical bits of text that have survived over the last two to three thousand years are quite small. Mm -hmm. There had to have been more of it out there at the time. And we've got what survived. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we've wandered a little bit off of love, but we we have but I'm gonna bring it back I, around I, unless you wanted to do that. Okay. I you go ahead. Okay. Let me connect these, these dots then um, to form a picture. Love is big and love is difficult and it is hard work. And it is something that we have to work on our entire lives. Um, we, we must keep practicing love. We must keep getting better at love because there's always more to learn, to know, to be, to do. There is, there's always something we can get better at in loving the people around us and allowing the people around us to learn to love us as well. And 
that that is the witness of scripture that is the witness of the life of the church together um i've been working on a project for school and part of that was to have these um roundtable discussions with some focus groups of of people and one of them was all church members i was the only pastor participating and i was only participating as the facilitator not as a participant and at the end, I offered up the question um, that, you know, what is it that you think the church needs to hold on to moving forward into the future after this pandemic? And um, someone said something that just kind of blew everybody out of the water and, and closed the conversation in a good way, in a good way. And she said, um, I've learned that church is relationship. Relationship is hard work. We have to work at being church. I think that's the message of love that we see in scripture. I couldn't agree more. And the, the love, the work is part of the love. The work is part of the active verb to love. We work at relationships because God loves us and God calls us to love one another. We work at the study of scripture, the study of the word written, because that reveals more of God to us through interactions. And we have to keep studying the scriptures because our world is always changing. And we have to keep going back to the text to see how it informs our life in the present, not our life in the 1990s or 1970s or 1960s. And the response of the church always has to be in its current context. And we do that by challenging ourselves. And Carissa, I think you'll agree with me, for a long time, the church did not preach challenging ourselves. It preached, this is comfortable. This is a place for social gathering. This is a place for spiritualism. Uh, this is, and, and, and I think in many cases, certainly not all, but in many cases, the church practiced a sort of disembodied spiritualism. It practiced uh, emotional self-help. It practiced um, it, well, in, in places it practices the prosperity gospel, but that's probably a term that needs to be defined in a different podcast. Yes, yes. there's another <laughs> and, big word. Yes, uh, but the, the church um, does not, has not always held itself or its members accountable to doing difficult work. And now we find ourselves in a place where we don't feel like we have all the answers. And we used to, and it's really uncomfortable. And we have a lot fewer resources to be the church. And if there is a way through it, it is more love and more work, which can be exhausting. But all of that gets back to practicing love.
dear friends, it is not about you. <laughs> if, if you think that it is, I encourage you to stick with us for a little bit longer <laughs> and stick with Jesus a little bit longer and to dig more into scripture. I, I believe that the whole first letter of John, the message is this, it's not about you. It's just not, and not in a you don't matter way, because Jesus loves you so very dearly that he made the ultimate sacrifice on your behalf. But and, it's not about you. No, uh, J John clearly points out that Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice on our behalf. And for that reason, we are to respond in love for one another. And that's the challenge we have. That's a big one. It's really difficult. It is. I, I think that might be all that we can chew on in this podcast. I agree. Uh, next week, we're going to be moving on in the, the book of 1 John. And uh, we're going to be tackling, um, I believe, uh, soteriology, atonement, some of those big words like supralapsarianism and infralapsarianism. And maybe we can toss in that, that word prosperity gospel next week, too, when we're talking about what does salvation mean? Ooh, we could even start with the word epistle. Ooh, I like it, epistle. Uh, we could probably do that right now, really quick. Uh, okay, wait. we'll save that for next week, epistle. Um, maybe we'll talk about sections of, you know, types of scripture when we talk about hermeneutic and exegesis and some of those big words later on. So there's lots, lots to keep us busy this season, dear ones. And uh, we encourage you if you have more words that you would like to toss in or you hear us use a word in our defining of all of these big words that you would like defined, let us know. You can reach out to us through our website, which is really easy. It's www.softidolatry.com. We've got contacts for all of our social media there. You can email us at info at softidolatry.com. If you know us in real life, you can hit us up on, on our personal uh, contact information as well. But I think that's all we got for today. Shall we close with a blessing? Yeah. Would you, would you be willing to do that today? Of course. Awesome. Friends, know that you are loved that you are loved by God, loved by Jesus, and equipped with the Holy Spirit to love one another. Go forth and act in that love. Share Christ's love for all of humanity. Do not return evil for evil to any person, but know that we are all loved by God and that we are all called to reflect that love to everyone we meet. Go forth and be the salt of the earth and the light of the world, and may all God's children say, Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us on Soft Idolatry. For show notes and more information, check out our website at softidolatry.com. To send us questions or comments, you can email us at info at softidolatry.com. And if you'd like to help support this podcast, please become a patron at www.patreon.com slash softidolatry. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. <laughs>